Well, good morning. Can we start saying Merry Christmas now? I, I think so. Merry Christmas. I got in trouble one time at church, not this church, for saying Merry Christmas too early. They're like, I was told, you can't say Merry Christmas until Christmas Eve. You have to say Happy Advent. I'm like, I've never heard that before. Happy Advent. But I'm like, I go to Superstore and I get Merry Christmas from the cashiers. I'm like, I think we can say that in church too, don't you? Yeah. Uh, if you don't know me, I truly am the other Dave. That was the original Dave who is here. Uh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's if we haven't met before, I'd love to meet you after the service. And just thank you for joining us here. And thank you for joining us online. Um, yeah, we're in our second week in our Advent series. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a very familiar story. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. You can take the slide down just for now, and we'll put that up in a second there. Thanks. Well, a few weeks back, I had to drive one of my children to an appointment in order to get their flu shot. And when we were sitting in the waiting room and they called my son's name, uh, he walked up and he turned around and he said, come on. He wanted me to go in with him in order to get the shot. Um, he was feeling a little apprehensive about what was going to happen. Was the shot going to hurt? How big was that needle going to be? And would his arm hurt afterwards? There's a lot of uncertainty, be, uncertainty about how things are going to go, and that uncertainty caused him to feel some misgivings about what lay ahead, maybe even a little fear. But apparently, having me by his side made things easier to face that uncertainty. It's not like I could prevent him from getting that shot or take the shot for him, and certainly I couldn't make any promises about how sore his arm would be afterwards. Nothing about my presence in that room was going to change the fact that he was going to get this shot and feel the pain. But somehow, me being there with him gave him the courage to face it, which he did like a champ. But I get that. We all face difficulties in our lives that often cause us to fear because of the potential pain they can bring. Perhaps it's the loss of our health, or the loss of a loved one, or maybe it's the loss of a dream, or perhaps it's some uncertainty that you face in your future. Maybe the uncertainty is in your work or in a relationship. But worse than facing the pain that these troubles can bring is the idea of facing them alone. Somehow, some, having someone else in our corner who will be there to hold our hand as we confront our challenges and endure the pain. It gives us courage that we would not have if we had to go it alone. And in the story that we are looking at today, we see that sometimes God calls us to follow him into circumstances that seem really uncertain, and no matter how you look at it, pain is unavoidable. But what we also see in this story is that we do not face it alone. 
we can have courage in uncertainty because the Lord is with us. So let's read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, the first thing that we see in this story is that God sent this angel named Gabriel to a virgin or a young maiden, a Jewish maiden from the town of Galilee named Mary. Now, despite what you might think, this is pretty extraordinary. You see, even for the Bible, it's not like that there are angels being sent from God to people every other page with messages from him. And it's particularly amazing that God sends one of these heavenly messengers to Mary. You see, at this point in her life, Mary is not a significant person in Israel or even a prominent person in the town of Galilee, which, by the way, was an obscure village in a region that did not garner much respect. Mary was not a prophetess or even the daughter of an influential religious leader. There's nothing on her resume that makes her stand out as someone that you and I would expect God to single out for his purposes. Mary was simply a young woman living at home, planning her wedding. And this isn't the first time that we have encountered this angel named Gabriel in Scripture. Earlier in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel makes an appearance to Mary's elderly cousin Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. But that seems to make more sense to appear to someone like him. You see, unlike the young, insignificant Mary, Zechariah is a respected well-established older man. He's a priest. And Gabriel appears to him in the holy temple at Jerusalem, not in some little podunk village in Nazareth. In that account, Gabriel tells Zechariah that despite the couple's 
lifelong battle with infertility, he and Elizabeth are going to be parents. And when Zechariah tells the angel that he doubts this because of their age, the angel shuts his mouth. Literally. Old Zech isn't able to speak for the next nine months. Perhaps that was a relief to his wife. The other time in scripture that we see the angel Gabriel is in the book of Daniel. There the angel is sent by God to Daniel two times. The first was to interpret a vision that Daniel was given by God. And the second time the angel was, was there to deliver a response from God to a prayer that Daniel prayed. But maybe that's not too surprising that Daniel gets this angelic message from God. He is, after all, one of the most significant figures in the Old Testament. He is a prominent leader in Babylon, and he did face lions, after all, for his faith. But sending the angel Gabriel to deliver a message to Mary, it is surprising. But perhaps not as surprising as the message he delivers. The first thing Gabriel says to Mary is, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29 says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, I find it very interesting that Mary was troubled by Gabriel's words, but not by the angel's appearance. Right? Despite modern depictions of angels, they are not described in the Bible as placid little cherubs. In most biblical accounts, when angels appear, the recipients of the heavenly messengers almost always fall prostrate to the ground, fearing for their lives. That's what Daniel did when Gabriel appeared to him. And then in Luke 1.12, it says that when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he was gripped with fear upon seeing him. But Mary, she's more troubled by his words than by his appearance. But isn't that strange in itself? His words, they don't seem frightening to me. Do they to you? He said to her, greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Why should this trouble her? Now, I think maybe it's perhaps she knows that there is more coming. It's like if someone in authority over you, they greeted you with a lot of enthusiasm, you might wonder, what's next? So I tested out this theory at work this week. One morning, I walked into Noah, our media and tech guy's office, and enthusiastically, I said to him, Good morning, Noah. It's so great to see you. It's your lucky day. And you know what? Just like Mary, Noah was also troubled by my words and wondered what this greeting might mean. <laughs> you see, suspecting that there is more to this message from Gabriel, I think Mary is correct to be fearful. Because often when God asks something of us, it is more complicated and difficult than we'd like. But we can have courage. The Lord is with us. And that's just what Gabriel says to Mary in verse 30. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. 
you have found favor with God. Now, angels often told the people that they appear to not to be afraid. But again, as I said earlier, angelic messengers were intimidating and not cute. And that's often why they did it. But again, Mary is more troubled by Gabriel's words rather than his appearance. And so it seems to me that Gabriel is telling her not to be afraid of what she will be asked to undertake. He's not telling her, don't be afraid of his appearance. She's not. And the reason Gabriel can tell her not to be afraid of the task that God is giving her is because of what he has already said to her. The Lord is with her, and he will be with her in more ways than one. The other thing he says to her in verse 30 is that she has found favor with God. This is the second time he has told her that. He said it in his initial salutation, calling her highly favored. But this might leave us wondering, what is it about Mary that has caused her to be favored so highly by God? And perhaps Mary is wondering the same thing. We don't know a lot about Mary, especially prior to this encounter. And as I said earlier, nothing about her credentials tells us there's anything special about who she is or where she is from. Mary is extraordinarily ordinary as far as major biblical characters go. There are only two other things that we know about Mary from this account besides her name and where she's from. The first is we know that she is pledged to be married to a guy named Joseph who is a descendant of David. But other than that, Joseph is even more nondescript than Mary is. The second thing we know about Mary is that she is a virgin. She has never had sexual relations. In fact, Mary's virginity is mentioned in this passage three times. I think that is a lot of times to mention someone's sexual history in just 12 verses. And a lot has been made about Mary's virginity throughout church history, and today there are even church denominations who still contend that Mary uh, remained a virgin for her entire life, which is problematic for a variety of reasons, including what do you do with Jesus' brothers and sisters the Bible talks about. But Mary's state of being a virgin at this point in her life and in the story, it's very important for this account. However, it is not the reason that she is highly favored. The text doesn't indicate that Mary was favored because of anything she did or did not do. Mary was favored solely because God chose her. Now, I do not doubt that Mary was a young woman of incredible faith and integrity and character. And one of the ways that she and we demonstrate our faith in God is by living obediently to his ways, including in our sex lives. And the Bible says that sex is to be limited to the confines of marriage. And marriage was designed by God to be between one man and one woman for life. If you want to look at a passage about that. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about it. 
And so abstinence or remaining a virgin until marriage is one way that we can be obedient to God. However, being a virgin does not make you highly favored with God, and practicing sexual integrity is not just limited to remaining a virgin until you're married. You see, sexual integrity, to which each one of us is called to, whether we are single or married, includes how we view or think of other people, how we honor God with our bodies and our minds, what we watch on our TV, computers, and phones, and there is much, much more. And if we have had sex outside of marriage or we have been unfaithful in some other way sexually, this does not mean that we are not or cannot be favored by God. Sexual sins are serious, but God also loves us seriously. And he can forgive us when we repent of our sins. And he wants to help each one of us to live lives of sexual integrity. In fact, rather than be discouraged by Mary's story, this should encourage any of us who have ever doubted that God could use someone like me whether it's because of a lack of credentials or a history that we may be ashamed of, because the angel Gabriel says to her in verse 30, you have found favor with God, not you have earned favor with God. You see, Mary, she is the object of the Lord's grace. And so are you. See, Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. 2 Timothy 1, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. Titus 3, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. See, friends, God loves you and I, and if we put our hope in Jesus, then we have found favor with God. Your sins are forgiven, whatever they may be, and you are favored, not because you've earned it, but like Mary, because you too are the object of his grace. You see, the reason this story speaks of Mary's virginity three times is to emphasize that this baby will not be the result of sexual relations between a man and a woman. He will not have a biological earthly father. He will be, as Gabriel says, great and be called the son of the most high. He goes on, the angel, to describe a whole, this child with some incredible attributes that are astounding particularly to an audience that would have been steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. First, the angel tells Mary that she is to name the child Jesus, which was a very common Jewish name. But as we sang, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus, because his name literally means Yahweh saves or God to the rescue. What a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. Second, Gabriel says that this child will be great 
and the Son of the Most High. Now, great indicates that this child will have a prominent impact on this world, which is surprising to say the least, being born to an unknown maiden in a nondescript village. Usually, great people were born to royalty in palaces. Son of the Most High indicates that the child's divine will have a divine nature, which Gabriel mentions a second time in verse 35, describing him in even more transcendent terms, calling him holy and the Son of God. And then when he says in verse 32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and that his kingdom will never end, this pronouncement parallels a promise that the prophet Nathan gave to King David on behalf of God found in 2 Samuel 7, which that promise served as the foundation of Israel's messianic hopes. They held on to this promise that one day God would reinstate a descendant of David's on the throne who would reign and that reign would last eternally and it would reestablish God's kingdom reign on earth once and for all. If you can put up the slide that has the, yeah, that slide right there. If we read Nathan's prophecy or his promise that God gave to King David and we read that alongside Gabriel's pronouncement here in Luke chapter 1, we can see how these two scriptures, they parallel each other. By giving Mary this pronouncement, Gabriel is telling her that this child that she will conceive is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the fulfillment of the nation's hope that a descendant of David would someday arise as promised throughout the scriptures. This is the Messiah that Mary and everybody else has been longing for. This is the return of the king. This is Yahweh to the rescue. But how? How is this possible, Mary asks Gabriel, since I am a virgin? What a great response this is. If I were in Mary's shoes, I think my response would be far more cynical. I would probably, rather than ask how, I'd be tempted to say, yeah, right. Or maybe I'd be like, are you kidding me? That certainly was Zechariah's response to Gabriel just a few verses back when Gabriel told him that he and his wife Elizabeth would conceive a child in their old age. It wasn't like Zechariah didn't believe God could make an elderly, infertile couple conceive a baby. See, he knew the scriptures well. He knew the stories where God had done just that for others, like Abraham and Sarah, the, the faith's founding patriarch and matriarch. You see, Zechariah just doubted that God would do that for him. But Mary's question about how this would happen, this wasn't a sign of her doubting God's ability or even doubting that he would use someone like her. I believe it was a sign of her curiosity. And though curiosity may have killed the cat, curiosity for people who are seeking understanding, especially understanding about God and his ways and how he wants to use people to build his kingdom here on earth, 
that is a very good thing. It's a good thing to want to know how and why things happen, even if curiosity can sometimes get you into trouble. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, I was working at Trinity Western University. And in my department, I happened to be the only employee who had graduated from another school. All the other employees had graduated from Trinity Western. They had all been a part of that community for a very long time, except for me. I was the only one who'd never been a part, and so I was unfamiliar with how things happened there. So I asked a lot of questions. One day after our department meeting, I got a phone call from the head of the department. He had never spoken to me before. But on this phone call, he started out the conversation by asking me why I was insubordinate. Yeah, I was shocked and I was scared. I was like, insubordinate? I, I asked, is there a part of my job that I'm not fulfilling? Or have other people indicated that I have like a bad attitude or something? He said, no. He said, you display your insubordination because whenever our department talks about something we do here at the school, you always ask why. There was an awkward silence on the phone after that. And I said, because I want to know why we do things here? You see, I'm new and I, I don't understand why we do things and I want the reason behind it. He assumed that everyone knew the reason behind what we did there because everybody else had been around the school for so long. He never imagined I was asking why because I was sincerely curious and I think that seeking understanding, especially at a university, should be applauded. After that phone call, he was, no, he, was, he was okay with my questions after that. But friends, God does not get frustrated with our curiosity. He's not bothered by our questions. He encourages you and I to seek understanding. He invites our curiosity. And if you're new here to Calvary and you wonder, why do we do things here the way that we do? Then please, ask away. Your curiosity and questions are welcomed here. And Gabriel welcomes Mary's curiosity. And he tells her how this is all going to take place. He says in verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Of course. Of course this has to be the work of the Holy Spirit, right? not only in her body, but also in Mary's life. For this child to truly be the son of God, he could not be the offspring of Joseph or any other man. Yet, born of a woman, Jesus is fully human. But as the son of God, he is completely divine, born without any trace of sin. As a human he understands us, yet as God, he has the power and authority to forgive and deliver us. It's incredible. Only by God's Spirit coming upon her could Mary conceive, though she is still a virgin. And only by the Lord continuing 
to be with her throughout every step of her life? Will she be able to face all the uncertainty that comes along with being an unwed pregnant woman with the Savior of the world in her womb? You see, it's not only Mary's immediate future that will be full of difficulty and potential pain. The role that God is calling her to play in his plans for the world, mothering the Savior. These plans may be clear to God, but they are murky at best for Mary. Just imagine how difficult that start would have been for her. Approaching her fiancé, Joseph, with the news of this unplanned pregnancy. She would have been the target of Joseph's feelings of betrayal and anger and heartbreak until eventually an angel intervenes, speaking to Joseph in a dream and confirming Mary's story. But you got to say, that is a tough way to start out a marriage. But the difficulty would not have ended there. Consider the disbelief and rumors and the slander that Mary would have to endure living in a small community for her entire life. A small community where everyone knows everybody else's business. I doubt many family or community members would have believed Mary's story of this virgin conception. And then think about how overwhelming it would have been at times raising the Son of God. Like one example would be, remember that story when Jesus was just 12 years old and they make that trek to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and then while the whole family joins the caravan for the return trip home, everyone's there except for Jesus. Worrying Joseph and Mary sick. They head back to Jerusalem. They find him in the temple. And he's like, where else would I be but my father's house? You got to say, say, it would be hard to reprimand God in that moment. Think about how hard parenting him must have been. And then, of course, we know that it was really difficult at the end to be this child's mother. Looking upon your son as he's crucified on a Roman cross. I think Mary was a very wise young woman. Where at the beginning here she is troubled by these angels' words. I think she understands that being favored by God does not mean an easy or trouble-free life. She knew the scriptures She knew how those whom God calls to play a role in his rescue plans for this world were most often rejected, misunderstood, and endured a lot of difficulty and pain. Yet Mary could have the courage to face all of this uncertainty because the Lord was with her. And friends, just as Mary faced trials because of baby Jesus within her, the Bible says that all who follow Jesus will also face trials and difficulties because of him. He says it himself in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. 
If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why it hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. I said earlier that those who put their faith in Christ and follow him, those are the ones whom God favors. You see, it is by trusting him that we become the objects of his grace. But being favored by God does not mean an easy or trouble-free life. Rather, it guarantees us that we will face difficulty. Like Mary, those whom God calls to play a role in his rescue plans for this world will often be rejected, misunderstood, and required to endure difficulty and pain. Jesus says in Luke 9, Whoever wants to be my follower must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. But you see, also like Mary, we can have courage. We can be available and willing, just like she was, to follow God because we know That the Lord is not only with us, like he was with Mary, but he is also within us. Not like he was within Mary, right? Not as a baby in our bellies, but the Bible says in several passages that Jesus lives within believers and that his presence is in us profoundly and intimately. There are a number of verses that talk about this, but just three, if you can put them up, are found in Galatians 2, Colossians 1, and then Jesus says it again in John 14, that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And because Jesus is within us, we can have courage facing our uncertainty because the Lord is with us wherever we go, And in whatever we face. And just as the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, enabling her to do far more than she could do on her own or even with the help of others, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes upon all who confess Jesus as Lord to help you and I do what would be impossible for us without the power and the presence of God in our lives. In the final part of Gabriel's speech to Mary, he says to her in verse 36, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will will ever fail. Even though Mary did not ask for a sign, It seems that Gabriel gives her one by explaining that Mary's relative Elizabeth was also pregnant as a result of God's grace in her life. Now, I think God wanted Mary to know about Elizabeth to give Mary more than just a sign. I think this is more than just confirmation. I think he told her about Elizabeth so that Mary could go to someone who would believe her. Someone who would understand what Mary is going through. Yes, their circumstances are different. 
but they were, these are both miraculous conceptions. And Elizabeth could offer Mary support during her difficult time. See, Mary faced a lot of difficulty and uncertainty with this pregnancy. She almost lost her marriage because of it. She could lose her family, her reputation, risk being considered a liar or crazy with this story about being made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But like I said earlier, worse than facing the pain that these troubles might bring her is the idea of facing them alone. But providing Mary with Elizabeth, Mary has someone else in her corner who will be with her to hold her hand as she confronts her challenges and endures the pain. The Lord provided Mary with Elizabeth to give her courage that she might not have if she had to go it alone. And he has done the same thing for us here. You see, we will face difficulty in life too, and we do not have to face it alone either. Just as the Lord provided Mary with her cousin Elizabeth to love and support and encourage her through her trials, God has given each of us to one another for the very same reason. The the church or the community of believers, we are to be a family, God's family. And we are the body of Christ. So this means that we are to love and support and encourage one another. Just as the Lord is with us in our uncertainty, we are to walk alongside one another in the difficulties we each face. And this can be very hard. It not only means that we need to be there for someone else, sacrificing our time and energy, But I think for many of us, the real difficulty lays in allowing others to be there for you. For many of us, this is very difficult. Because this means not only getting to know others, but being known ourselves in this community. It's difficult because it requires vulnerability and opening up, sharing And letting others in. And many of us are not comfortable with that. But that's okay. Even though it may feel awkward and risky, remember, remember, highly favored ones, the Lord is with you, right? And just like Mary, we also can have courage and we can be available and willing to do what God is calling us to do. And he is calling us to both care for others and to receive care by others. Later in Luke chapter 1, Mary will go to Elizabeth's home. And when she arrives, Elizabeth says to her, Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And in response, Mary sings this song, and in it she says, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. You know that we can say the same thing. It can be said of us, Blessed are you who believe that the Lord would fulfill His promises for you. 
And we can respond just like Mary. We can all say, all generations will call us blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for us. I invite the worship team to come on up. And I'd ask, would you please stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, many of us are going through very difficult things right now. And Lord, I just pray that your peace and comfort would be upon them. And I pray that they would be able to know the love and support not only that you give, but that can be had through sharing with the family of God. And I pray that we would be a community that would do very well at loving and supporting and caring for each other. Lord, I thank you that... You didn't sugarcoat things. You made no bones about it when you said, in this world, we will face trouble. But then you also told us that we could take heart because you have overcome the world and that you are with us. You never leave or forsake us. There's no heights or depths or anywhere else in all of creation that we can go where you are not with us and that your love is poured out onto us. And so I just pray, God, that in the uncertainty and difficulty that each one of us faces in life, young or old, I pray that we would be able to take heart, that we would be able to have courage, and that we would be able to know that you are with us. We love you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.